Hello. Hello, hello, testing one, two, three. Hello. Hi. Hi. I love the ASMR. Are you an ASMR kind of person? Yes. Are you? Absolutely. Do you, do you, do you, does it touch your sensories? Yeah, it makes me feel like calm and it's so like satisfying just the intricate sounds and hearing all the mechanics of all the speech (laughs) and it's and all the effects of the sound and it's so soothing what do you like it is that what you like about it yeah i do i I mean i love obviously the technicals of being able to hear all the little sounds that go into the big sound but also from the sensory perspective i do love like it it's satisfying it gives me the tingles it makes me feel calm and comforted yeah yeah i think like especially when i get anxious i feel like it's very soothing it's very grounding it's it's very like everything's gonna be okay yeah because it's yeah it's kind of like when you see those videos of babies crying and then like their parent starts singing or makes a chanting noise and then they stop crying and they're chill that's yeah. kind of how I feel listening to ASMR. It like soothes all the worries away in the world. I like that. It's very yeah. very soothing. It is very soothing. That's very nice. It is very nice. Very nice. Is it like very like, nice? You make it sound so much better than actually like listening to ASMR. Oh, I can't stand it. Really? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a lot of baloning, but it's No way. I love it. Look, I don't seek out ASMR every day. Yeah. I, it's not my everyday thing. However, if I was to come across it, I wouldn't say no. I'd be like, yes. You'd 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 seek it out. Not really. Like <laughs> sometimes, I I have once or twice, but really, like it's not a hobby of mine. Like some people who like watch ASMR channels and they get like millions and millions and millions of views. I've only seen a couple of those videos, but yeah. it's a huge genre, and I can see why. So you don't. Why are you laughing? No, this I'm is just no uh, laughing matter. <laughs> ASMR is no laughing matter. I shouldn't laugh at ASMR. It's a great, great I profession. It. I mean, I... <laughs> it's like foley for the internet. <laughs> foley for therapy. This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Jessica Truman. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to your ASMR voice. Um, so, Jess, i got a question for you. Oh, yeah? i got a, I got a bri, um, like a wide variety question. Uh-huh. Tell everyone on the internet who doesn't know you who you are and what you do. Wow. That's a loaded question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So I'm Jessica. I am a person. <laughs> so I'm glad. Yes. I'm Living, alive. breathing. Yep. You're alive. You're mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Healthy. Yeah. Thriving. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> um, Thriving and living. Yeah. Yep. So I am an actor, writer, and I work in production in uh, media, like film, television, all like stage, all the things. Yeah. Um. What else do they want to know? Oh, well, that's a long laundry list. I, I'll tell you, would be here all night. Um, yeah, that's me. I I don't know what to say. That's a long It's a good list. Yeah, it is a good little list. It's a good list. Yes, um, it's a good list. What started? Where did it all start for you? Where did this journey, this deep Jessica journey oh. <laughs> start? It started in my local drama class. Mm-hmm. Um, I was eight years old. 
Um, I remember my parents, um, they would take us and me and my sister to piano classes. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving past like the local town hall and it's like, drama, dance, theatre classes start here soon. And I didn't know what it was, but I was like intrigued. I was like, mom, what's that? What's drama? Can I do drama? And she's like, oh, yeah, acting. You can try acting. And um, then I did my first class and I was like, I love it. I can't be anywhere else. There have been bumps along the way, but, you know, still here. Yeah, still Many, here. many, many years later. 20-something years later. Mm-hmm. Almost, well, almost 20 years. 18. 18. 18 years later. That's a long, that's a long time. Yeah. Does it has, it, has it felt like it's gotten easier over the time or is it? Um... I think as an adult, it's gotten a lot easier. But yeah. as a teenager, like, I, I did acting. It's much harder when you're younger as a kid. Why do you think that is? Because there's not many options or outlets. Mm-hmm. Whereas as an adult, it's like you've got the whole kitchen sink at your disposal. Mm. So either way, there's, like, restrictions in a sense. Yeah. I guess, like, as an adult, you have more options. And I think in that way, it becomes easier than when you're a child and limited to like kids roles yeah whereas most stuff is like adults in adult stories obviously. yeah 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 um but yeah i loved it i that's where i started performing and then after i finished school i did a production degree i took acting as a backseat and now that's finished and yeah i'm back as a performer and i make stuff too like films and scripts and yeah, do some media work here and there, and it's all all part of the journey. Wow! So you've mm-hmm. you've you've basically done a lot, even though considering you're still under thirty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Does that make you? <laughs> you know what they always say though: the moment you've just kind of hit your career of thirty, do you feel like that's the same? I don't think so. Especially if like our generation is supposed to have so many careers in our lifetime. I don't think. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's necessarily true. And I think it's kind of reductive in the sense because not everyone finds their stride before 30 or at 30. Yeah. Like a lot of people have late career breakthroughs and I'm totally open to that. I'd rather not have it be like at 40, but if it is, okay. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it kind of is like that's such a small chunk of life to have things happen. There's so much more time where things can happen yeah. and develop. And I think it gets e- like better and easier just in life as you get older and you care less about what people think and you care less about others and what they're doing and kind of focusing in yourself. And then that way, I think, breakthroughs happen. Do you think you care less about what people think now? Oh, yeah. Used to? Oh, absolutely, I do. Because you talked about anxiety and then you were like, do you feel like your anxiety was influenced into your acting? And Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That I think that, you know, like had that diagnosis stopped me a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's taken a while to get back on track to what when, I want to do in my own happiness. Yeah. Because when were you, di- when did you know you had anxiety? I was formally diagnosed with um, an anxiety disorder at 16. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So like right as I was starting year 11. Wow. Less time to be diagnosed I know, and have you, anxiety, you know. You're like, got HSE coming up. <laughs> yeah, literally, uh, literally. What was it? What, when did you realize you had it? Like, when When was it very obvious to you? Um, I think probably 
at 15, like mm. middle of the year, I had a school performance and normally like that's my favourite thing to do, mm. to perform obviously. And um, I remember that year just shuddering in nerves and because of that I didn't, I had an experience where I didn't get good feedback and that snowballed with other things. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of withdrew a lot. Yeah. And then early... Um, the next year, year 11, was when that diagnosis happened. Did that did that feel like it hit like a ton of bricks to you or is it very obvious? Was it kind of a relief? Um, I thought I had depression, actually. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Um, I think it was because I had this idea of where I wanted to be and I wasn't at that and I, that made me upset mm. and I, I think I still suffer that now but in a different way I think yeah. I'm more you know accepting that things take time and it's a progression but when I was younger yeah, it's not overnight when I was younger I wanted things to be instant because yeah. I, I wasn't liking my life I always wanted something more and when I wasn't getting that I would be so sad and withdrawn I was like what's the point mm. um, but I, I did have like moments of just complete uncontrollable anxiety Mm. um and then yeah when I was diagnosed with anxiety I kind of realized you know maybe it's not necessarily like the depression that I had I mean Mm. I I did obviously feel you know depressed yeah (laughs) um and the anxiety was like oh it was just a different way of how I was feeling in that time. And um, it kind of showed me like, oh, I have fear that I'm not going to do this. The fear is stopping me yeah. from what I wanted to do. The anxiety was stopping me. It was ruling me rather mm. than me just having this thing, you know. Mm. Um, so that kind of changed my perspective more than surprised me. Yeah. It was... Yeah, it was a really weird time now that I, I look back at it because I, yeah, I, I just, I like I was depressed at the time, but I didn't, I didn't know if I was completely anxious all the time, but no, they were right because as time went on, like the anxiety was just so constant and overbearing and yeah, I still deal with it now. I mean, not to the extent that it was when I was younger, but yeah. um, now it's, it's more manageable, I think, but you know, I'll still have my moments where yeah. I, where I don't feel up to performing or just getting up in the morning and going for a walk. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. Something like that. Do you, with anxiety as well? Do you? What do you think the biggest things it's it's felt like it's impacted for you? Oh, definitely the things like confidence. Yeah, definitely. Um, my choices, my creative outlets i'm like am i am i right to be doing this can i do this with anxiety can i live mm. my life the way i want to live because i have this thing stopping me yeah and it's and like it doesn't feel like i'm controlling it it's controlling me and that stopped me for a while yeah do you feel like because what's what's been your best like you know, you know how everyone has like the network of people that are able mm. to kind of like vent. Did you have a lot of people that you could talk to, or was it very kind of like 
quite difficult to kind of vent to people mm. about you or how you were feeling? Um, I had a like um I had like a good therapist um at the time who was really helpful. And I had some friends that I would talk to. I've always had a pretty small circle, mm. so yeah, and I was very quiet about my struggles because I I was of the mindset that I didn't want to be a burden to other yeah. people. Um, and so I just kept it quiet and if pe- if I needed people to know, I would tell them. But otherwise, it wasn't something that I spoke about all the time. Yeah. That's, that's hard. Yeah. And, like, it wasn't bad that I couldn't talk to people. It was more... I just wanted to do it in a controlled setting because if yeah. I felt like if I did speak about it and like the struggles that I was going through, I I'd get upset. Yeah. And I I'd, I'd feel uncontrollable worry about if people were going to understand. Do you still feel like that today? Um depends, really. I yeah. think um I think with some people, like, I definitely open about it and share about it. But other people, it's like, ugh. Like, it's it's good to talk, but there's also a time and place yeah. as well with certain people or places that, whether it's important to you for whatever reason, it's like, not now, I need to focus. Yeah. I need to do something else, which is fine. And that doesn't mean that you can't control how you're feeling and yeah those emotions it's more about protecting yourself too yeah your inner world and saying like hey like normally i'm open about this but right now i have something else to do yeah you have like i think that's also very good at keeping your guard up and knowing Mm. and knowing your own boundaries yeah exactly and i think i did for a while and i used to think i was being selfish or something was wrong with me. I wasn't yeah. raising awareness in the right way. Like that's what I felt in the past. But now it's like, well, no, everyone has the right and the agency to be able to say, hey, I would like to talk about this now or yeah. I don't or I want to raise awareness or not. We all have a threshold for that. Yeah. And I think everyone's threshold should be accepted and be like, okay, cool. Do you... Has that made it very difficult? Do you feel like you're often at sorts very different to most people out out there in the normal, like the real world and the normal world? I don't know. Yeah? Because I think, I think as well, like I've had a laundry list of neurodivergent mental health analysis like in the 2000s and the early 2010s. So for me... I've I've had a very different perspective on this because I've experienced the societal shift, but I've also noticed how things have not changed. Yeah. And I forgot the question. Could you repeat it? Mark? No, I'm not. I was going to follow it up with something else. As well. Oh, what was it? Oh, I forgot. No, this is that's... not going in the podcast. Please, that... no. Um, oh, not... how things have changed. Do you think yeah. things have changed in the real world? Okay. Um, yes, to an extent, I think more people know and are wary of the impact of mental health, but I also don't think so because when things do get serious, yeah, and this is going to be very trigger warning, like when things do get super serious, I don't believe many people know what they're doing in terms of 
getting help or de-escalation. No. I, and that's where I think the gap is. I agree with that. I mean, I'm of the mindset that if, you know, anyone needs therapy or anything, go and, go and see, seek a therapist. But, like, growing up, um, it's, like, uh, it's very common knowledge. I grew up with epilepsy, ADHD, uh, mm-hmm. neurodiverse child, then suddenly, as an adult, depression, anxiety. Yeah. So, it's mm-hmm. like... My entire life has been in and out of places. But I think same, also yeah. I think also in the same boat, I agree with you because I see changes but I also don't. And mm. I think it's really disappointing when you see things haven't changed. Yeah. And they're still the same as they were like 20 or 30 years ago when we were young. And like you would expect by the time we're in our 20s, when you saw that when you were a kid, you were like, that will get better by the time I need it. And it's not. It's yeah. just still the same. Like, it's amazing how many times I walk past, like, you know, obviously you know, but I've, you know, been on crutches for, like, the last few yes. weeks. And people still walk past me like I'm, you know, a normal walking person. It's still insane. They don't mm. acknowledge the fact that you're a person with a crutch and you need help. And no, nope, just Or walk past even, it. like, not even that you need help. But you need to be considerate that yeah. you're walking at a slower pace on because of your injury. Yeah. And they either walk around, they don't push you. Yeah, that, like, no, no, no one pushes me. Oh, okay, good. good. But it, it definitely they walk fast. They like they like speed bolting. And I think the problem I find with that is that mentality of speed bolting or going fast is like you're not acknowledging someone's there. Yeah. You're not you're not being sensitive to it. Or being mm. kind, yeah. Kind of. Was, does it feel like pushing in? Like yeah, pushing yeah. In? Yeah, and it's amazing because I think when you're neurodivergent um, or anything, like everything's tenfold when you're a little bit, yeah, on the spectrum. It's just, it's unfortunately the way it is. Oh, I, I know, honey. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know you know. Um, but I mean, like, I think you know people don't people underestimate because I've always had the thing where I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've had to explain to people, and I usually don't mention it. Mm. I don't mention it like I'm like, um, I can hear that. Oh, can you? Yeah. So I'm gonna wait until you open. No, 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 no. Continue, continue with your story. Continue. Because because if you're gonna open it, I'm gonna hear it and eat and hear you eating. Oh well, that's uh, no, can, nope, no. You're gonna have continue to wait with your story. End. No, I'll wait till the end. I'll wait till uh, the end. We'll do an ASMR section later. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you can eat it now. No. Go with your go with your question. Go um, with your point. Go uh. With, so. Continue your story, please. Um. See, so yeah, I find the problem. You know, I was at work one day. Um, and this happened to me a few years back and I found that, you know, I had to explain to people, it was like, they would be like, oh, you're dumb. You're clearly not getting it. And, you know, (sighs) automatically like people are like, you're dumb. And I'm like, well, that's counterintuitive or you're, you're lazy or you're ignorant or you're anything like this. And the problem I found was that people didn't understand that. What's the word? Um, level of sympathy or empathy. Empathy mm. is the word I'm thinking of, where they didn't understand the empathy of just knowing someone's different yeah, and, and being understanding of that. And they were like, the moment I said, oh, I have ADHD, they were like, oh, that explains that. And I'm like, wow, okay. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's, it's mm. like that level of just uncomfortability. So I feel like that's being spread across. I think when it comes to neurodivergence, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And specific conditions, it like you know, 
Um, I, it's it's actually not great. It's really bad. It's probably it's always had more stigma attached to it than mental health, which I didn't think was possible. But hmm, you wouldn't think it was possible, but it is. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's like when people make those comments, like "Oh, that's why you're dumb because you have ADHD." It's like you do realize that's. Ableism. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Uh, do we do we need to talk about that? Um, probably. Th- that's the thing. It's so normalized that people don't think they're being discriminatory. They don't even. They probably wouldn't even know what ableist means. No. You know? So that to me shows that in terms of neurodivergent or disability awareness or acceptance, like we we've gone nowhere. Yeah, because like, where did what what what's your neurodivergence? Um, ADHD autism. Ah, so you're on the autism spectrum, ADHD spectrum. Uh, I've, or is it just kind of a spectrum, slight... But also ADHD. Is it both? You can yeah. have both. You can have... Yeah. Even, yeah. I mean, like, look, they... they it's the amount of times... Um, it's it's funny because I... I feel like also people with autism... You mean autistic people? Uh, autis- yeah. Autistic people. Sorry. Thank you for correcting me. That's okay. Um... Uh, uh, it generally comes under the banner of people who tend to go into quiet. That people think that yeah, there's this big spectrum of just people who are you know they they're chaotic, they're useless, mm. and it's like these are people like if you have ADHD or um or autism, you're generally hyper focused. You're very hyper focused on tasks. <sighs> the most useful useful people, mm. more commonly than most normal like. Uh, non-neurodivergent brains. Neurotypical brains, uh, Thank yes. you. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I think a lot of people just associate that as, like, bad. But, I mean, a lot of the, like... Yeah, that we're, they're, it's socially ingrained thing but, I mean, it's also neurodivergence like, is bad. But, but it's oh, also God. the thing that I think they think we're socially inept when we're probably the most socially aware people. Yeah, oh... I could, we could do a whole episode. I we mean, could we do could... a whole episode on this. But here's the thing, right? <laughs> I'm for it. Here's the thing. People call it an autism spectrum. Yeah. But the portrayals and their thoughts and their views do not show that there is a spectrum of difference. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that irks me the most. And I would say the same with ADHD. Yeah. And that annoys me because... If you like, there's that saying, you know, if you've met one person with autism, you've only met one person with autism. True, of course. But here people are in this age of, oh, we're inclusive to everybody. We're going to include everybody, yet it's so ingrained that they don't even make that yeah. effort. Yeah, 100%. And they're doing things and saying things and having those assumptions that are completely, completely like ableist, incorrect, like wrong, like just. Yeah. Token, token blanket, you know, putting assumptions on others that they don't even know. Yeah. And it's it's so it's mind boggling. It's like I can't put into words sometimes the audacity some people have. Oh my god. And it's it's really frustrating because it's like how can we raise awareness or like advocate for ourselves or educate others yeah. if people aren't willing to listen or willing to change yeah. or just going to say things about the condition that they know because one person they met is like that or blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, I yeah. don't care, whatever it is. And it's like have some compassion, like try and get to know the person in front of you. 
I was like, ask them what they need help with rather than being like, oh, you must be dumb. Oh, you must be stupid. Oh, that's why you're like this. Oh, I kind of thought that. I don't care about your armchair therapist diagnosis. I don't care. Just help. Just be a decent person and make accessibility and accommodations for anyone. Yeah. Whether it's they've got an intellectual disability or they have a physical disability. Mm. End of. I think that <laughs> I love all of what you said. Thanks. Um, I did too. Yeah, it's an amazing speech right there. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to use that <laughs> as the teaser as well. So that is that is oh, the speech of a lifetime. Why, why not ASMR? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Put that down. No. <laughs> oh, that's not doing anything. Why can't I have an ASMR break? You can have an ASMR break. You can, can I do chocolate. that right you, now? You can have the chocolate right after the meaningful speech. That's awful in my ears. Look, I reckon. If you get chocolate on my. I'm. It's the wrapper. It's the foil. It's the foil. You're foiling me. You're foiling me with your plans. Hey, look. Can't I have like a little bit of peace? Why can't we just break it up with some meaningful stuff and then ASMR in this podcast episode today? I think your listeners will really appreciate it. Should I? Should I eat? Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, I love it. Can you hear that? Because <laughs> it turned you down. Oh, what? Because I don't want to hear that in my head. You're crazy. <laughs> I don't want to hear someone eat. But it's ASMR. No. Give me the wrapper. <laughs> No. <laughs> Taking the rubber away from you. While we're on ASMR break. Yeah, that that is the punishment for ASMR break. I reckon I reckon your listeners will like this. There'll be there'll be people who are like, I like ASMR. Yeah. There'll be some people who hate it, but that's okay. We're all into different things. That's why I appreciate But some people will be like this is lit. This is this is lit. Um, it's true. It's true. I 100% agree with you, though, on your statement, because mm-hmm. I think when we go into the world, especially the art industry, uh, what's it? <laughs> yes, yes. What, what, I feel like another speech is coming along. Um, what's your thought on um, diversity in the arts industry? What is... Well... <laughs> it's not going to come as a surprise, but I I think there's so many. Um, obviously, things are like starting to change, yeah. and like some. I'm oh, look. I really hate what I'm about to say, but it kind of feels like neurodivergent people are the flavor of the month, yes. flavor of the year. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of giving me like. You look at the spice rack in Woolies and you're yeah. like, wow, look at these amazing spices that I can choose from. I hate that I'm doing this. But I've got a point. Yeah. Pick one that's like garlic powder and you're thinking, oh, look at this amazing garlic powder. I'm going to use this instead of garlic cloves. This is going to be so good because my garlic rots in my fruit bowl. So you get the garlic powder, but it's only like 2% garlic powder and like, 98% salt. 
And it's like, I I wanted I bought garlic powder. Why do I need to read fine print? Yeah. To find the garlic powder. What? Like, oh, you're not giving what is needed to be gived. Needed yeah. to be gave. Pardon yeah. my grammar, but. It's true. Like, especially with neurodivergency. Oh, my God. And look, I'm sure other, like, underrepresented groups, historically underrepresented groups would feel this way. Yeah. I can absolutely see that. Fine. My my thing is, there just isn't the representation needed. There are clearly lots of neurodivergent people yeah. in the industry, yet yeah. they're not. Even when there is, in in arts, in acting, like even when there is, like neurotypical, wait, sorry, even when there is neurodivergent roles, they rarely go to neurodivergent actors. Yeah, and it's like, what's the point? Of doing it if you don't want to include others. Yeah, and I mean that's just one example, but I think you know that there could be a lot more done, and I think people need if they want to, like we're talking neurodivergency, but if people really want to include us, we need to have a seat at the table because I can't tell you the amount of times that I've seen things that are completely inaccurate to an unhealthy degree where the same societal message kind of permeates about certain conditions and certain people. Mm. And it's completely inaccurate Mm. and they don't want to get it right. And it it feels like you're talking into the void most of the time. And if you speak up against it or you're like hey look this could be done differently blah 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 i literally went through that today oh my god but my point is i've never seen in the arts industry people say oh we want to include this group of people but then completely shut them out and make their own stories yeah i don't feel like i see that with others and i hate to play this comparison game yeah However, that is just what I see, and it it annoys me because it's if you're not including everybody, you're not including any of us. Yeah, it means if if you see gaps of representation or bad industry practice, bad industry practice, quote unquote, like that means all of us are going to be subject to that. Yeah, if it's acceptable to do it to this group of people, and I'm sure there is, and and I don't see that because of my privilege in in my demographic space but i also see the flip side of that yeah and i think everywhere needs to change and it can change it's there however no one's taking the creative risk that i think needs to be taken yeah to be able to give those voices the platform that they deserve and that would be interesting I'm sick of seeing the same old. I'm sick of seeing the same old, same old. Yeah. Personally. No, and I mean, that's totally fair. I mean, do you feel like that was part of the reason you you also love the, um, like, wanting to be an actor so much? In terms of, like... Wanting to make that change. Um, It never really came from an activist perspective. I don't see myself as an activist. I'm just... A practitioner who's 
talking on my friend's podcast, my thoughts. Which can I say I love. But, <laughs> but I mean, that still makes you, like, whether or not we admit it, it still makes us activists for... Yeah, I think all of us are activists in our own yeah. way, whether we um, are publicly doing the work or not. There's still a level of, you know, carrying yourself and opinions that inform your work. Yeah. For me, it's just something I've loved and it it's some like the neurodivergency, the mental health stuff. That's something I've had to work through and be okay with talking about because I never was. If you yeah. asked me to do this a year ago, <laughs> good luck. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what was the shift? What was the change there, do you think? Oh, this is a good one because I think a few things happened. Yeah. Because I, like, I've never seen any, like, roles about or, like, performances or any, like, movies or TV about mental health or neurodivergency. And if I did, it was rubbish. It was <laughs> not good. There yeah. wasn't very many anyway. But I... I thought, you know, they're not going to do it right and I, I didn't see anyone like me so I thought, oh, I won't say anything because, like, clearly there's no one like me or clearly yeah. they don't understand so I'm just going to pretend that I'm like everyone else. Yeah. But then I realised that's lying to myself. I, I don't want to do that anymore and I saw, like, effort of people wanting to make a change that I thought was genuine and I got, like, a few promising opportunities out of just being vulnerable and honest about it and then I realized you know what I'm always gonna have that problem or not even problem of like being vulnerable about those things that I didn't really talk about back then but now it's like well it is a point of difference and I think if people are gonna do it at least get the right people who know yeah. who have lived with this who live with it who's part of who they are to get it right do you, and yeah. then that was like me being like, you know what? It's, it, there's nothing wrong with me. It's the societal messaging that's wrong. Yeah. Um. So that was that was the big shift for me. Um. And I don't I don't intend to be an activist. It's more, as I said, I'm sharing my thoughts on my friends' podcasts, and um, here we are. But I mean, uh, yeah, I think that also make, puts you in a unique position because mm. I mean. We go in forward. It, it's like the double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. Where it's like, if you don't do anything, w well, yeah, nothing changes. But if you do something, then you become exposed, and therefore yeah. everyone kind of can, you know, can either make a or break. I'm the I'm the token for their reference. Yeah. Um. And I mean that then comes a very much a you know a situation, but I do think at the same time, mm. uh, it. It doesn't, you know, I think we are getting better with mental health. I think yeah. we are getting better with neurodivergence. Um, um, yeah, yeah, neurodivergence, yeah. Um, and, like, you know, just the variety of people we are getting better of. Like, you can yeah. see, like, in socials, people are putting what they have or, you know, like, clearly if you have any sort of medical history, people are posting it on Instagram, yeah, if, letting yeah. awareness around. Whereas before, growing up in the 90s and 2000s, what was mm. that? What None of that. that. You were either normal or not. Mm. And it was very clear. And I still think for my perspective, um, I think that's what's created such a divide 
in my love for f- film and TV in Australia mm. because when you watch television or commercial statements, everyone, one is white, a lot of white people mm. represent television there, and two, they're all, you know, so-and-so called normal, mm, quotation neuroty- marks, yeah. neurotypical um, and... Able-bodied, yeah, all like of the... you know, not someone in a wheelchair, you know, doing the news. Like very rarely you'll see one these days. Yeah, and like and like commercial channels. Good luck seeing anyone of like diverse colors or anything yeah. like that. It's yeah. very clear cut. Yeah. Whereas the ABC and probably SBS are the only two channels of com- like standard old channels that actually do anything about it. Mm. But the same with Nickelodeon. Like Nickelodeon's diversity just went out the door when they didn't, you know, like one of the um the girl came out as queer and just oh th- that Jojo was, yeah, yeah Jojo yeah. and it was knocked down by Nickelodeon. They were like, oh, she can't, and you know, it's like. And I didn't even. Did you hear about the the um what was it Kids Choice Awards or Teen Choice Awards? I don't remember which one it was. No. But after she like cut her hair, Jojo. I only heard about this recently, but after Jojo, who's been mm. the face of Nickelodeon for many, many years um, and was nominated for a Teen Choice Award, I think, or nominated for a Kids' Choice Award, yeah, she was not invited to the ceremony. Yeah. It was right before, no, right after. It was right after she cut her hair short mm. and didn't have her iconic bow and hairstyle. Yeah. And then she wasn't invited. Yeah. And it's just like... What does that say? Mm, what yeah. does that, but what's that say about corporate worlds and them uh, understanding and accepting diversity and yeah. and and different people in general? Because it really... It's more like I think from the Jojo Siwa case, what we can learn is they had this image of her that they could market for a while. That was wildly yeah. popular. The first time I heard about Jojo Siwa... I was working at um, a restaurant in my local shopping center and she was there performing um, and the traffic bonkers, mm. not only just on the road, but in the shopping center. So many people loved this girl. I thought it was Jojo who was get out, leave right now. I thought it was that Jojo, ah. but it was this Jojo Siwa. Yeah. So she clearly had an appeal to to young girls and young boys I'm sure too and she had that image of the bow and seen as you yeah. know whatever and then she came out as queer and they kept her obviously as the front for a little while with the bow like she still appealed to people but then soon after there was a shift as she got older but also her talking more about being LGBT plus, um, as well as her cutting her hair and then the Teen Choice stuff, the Nickelodeon Awards, then we realised, oh, well, hold on. Yeah. And for me, that kind of says once they see a change in what made them money, regardless of if it's going to suit their diversity statement or not, they're not going to fly with it. It's the message we get from. Yeah. The whole situation with Jojo. And again, that's just my view. I, I No, I, I love that view. I mean, what does that make you think when you go for employment and whether or not you feel like you're ticking a box with auditions? Do, have you ever gone to an audition and you felt like they're trying to tick a box? Um, in certain places, yes. But in certain places, no. Um, I think 
that they like it's a very the arts acting performance is yeah. very physical based more so than other jobs typically and it's about your looks and we've spoken about this before about how looks can separate you from getting work and not and look is hugely important which is part like again with jojo which is a huge reason why i think nickelodeon like said goodbye we're Mm. like mm, we don't want you here and because of that i think they have an idea of a specific look and a specific checkbox. However, I feel in some auditions, they are open to that changing. Sometimes yeah. they don't know. Um, and I think as well, like, if you do land a certain role or whatever, yeah. you can't change drastically that much. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, you can't cut your hair, you can't colour your hair, or you need to colour your hair, or you need to cut it. Yeah. Whatever it is, there usually is instructions of that manner because... Once you do get something, they need you to look the way they envision the character or what the character looks like. Yeah. Um. So there's that as well that you don't have in other jobs. And normally, like, it's fine. Um, I don't mind too much at all. Um, however, in funny we talk about this and Jojo Siwa because I think I wonder for her if she had a clause in her contract where she wasn't allowed to cut her hair. I wouldn't be surprised if she just went and did it. Or if Nickelodeon said, it's fine, Jojo, cut your hair, whatever. And then Jojo cuts it really short and Mm. then isn't invited to these Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards yeah, because her hair suddenly looks more queer, like she looks like a lesbian, uh, you know? So I'm, I think that's very interesting and like a dilemma that others don't really have if mm. it's not a physical-based industry. Yeah. Like the way performance and acting is. So, yeah, I think they do look for something certain, but I also think that they're willing for things to change. Um, yeah. But there is obviously like a regulation on appearance that you agree to because it's part of the character like in the contract. Yeah. But for Jojo, like just talking about that is just so funny. Um, Cause I'm like, I wonder if she did or if she didn't, or if she's still working with Nickelodeon or not, there's definitely drama behind the scenes there. Yeah. I, d- I think that's part of the issue now is like, um, you know, that, yeah, it will be a long case. Yeah. Well, not even like a long case. I just think a lot of it's hidden. Like what, really happened between Jojo and Nickelodeon. And again, we're just um experts expert um again, we're just armchair experts people. We don't really know. We're just interesting thoughts. <laughs> I think, you know, like they had her for a while, like after she came out and they seemed accepting. Yeah. But then her changing her image to what was profitable and seemed more queer to a kid's audience that maybe rubbed them the wrong way and it's I mean do you think that statement blah 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 yeah I mean like do you think that happens to everyone though do you think or do you think that happens to just when you're not profitable or marketable um see it's it's difficult because I think um but with her I think that definitely was a factor I don't know if everyone though is because it, like most actors I know are okay with needing to change their hair colour or cut it for whatever yeah. reason for any role. 
Uh, what about you though? What do you mean? Like in terms of would I you, do it? Yeah. Yeah. I would dye my hair or cut it for any role. What's the, what's the weirdest request? Like what's the thing that you, when you go into an audition, you're like, nope, that's where you draw the line. Um, definitely like, like this isn't pertaining to hair, but probably full frontal mm-hmm. nudity, obviously. Um, I, I don't like, that's probably the only one really. Really? Yeah. I don't think so like has that ever been asked of you um yeah they said like i've had briefs where they're like you know this will require some nudity or in the film or whatever and like if it's implied nudity i don't mind yeah um that's just obviously like like when the character looks naked but you don't see anything like a crew that's fine that's whatever you usually just wear underwear that in front of them that that the audience can't see that's fine um but yeah, nudity is very contentious, which is why I don't I'm not participating in that discourse because sometimes directors just do it for fun. Yeah. And without any real meaning or substance or anything like that. So it's like I'd rather not. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't think I I can't remember. Yeah. Like driving I can do. I've been asked if I can drive. I've uh, yeah, I can't think of anything other than that, which I'm like, no. No, that's it. That's a, look that 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 is like ticks the box for most people as yeah. nudity or you know like yeah. Some people don't like to do intimate scenes like kissing other people or and you're sexuals. fine with that. Yeah, I am as long as it's not like graphic or full frontal or just serving you know someone's ego or kink or whatever. Yeah. Um. And it, again, implied stuff. Like, that's fine. I'm not adverse to that. But still, yeah. like, it's still kind of like, it has to be. It has to be done well and tastefully. And, yeah. You know, power to the women that do it and are like yeah. cool with it. Um, or do understand it. But like, for me, ugh, has, ugh, no. Has it felt being a female artist, though, in this industry? Like, has that been quite of a challenge for you or um or has it been quite easy um there definitely have been challenges yeah. um i think it's interesting because like for me transitioning like, i think for everyone transitioning from pre me too to me too i i think there has been a shift in how people talk about assault harassment mm. um respect all those kinds of things and i I guess it's made that movement made things easier for me. Yeah. In in the sense that I don't put up with that, thank God. I hope I never do. Um but yeah, I don't I it made things more transparent, I think. Mm. And people were um more aware that and and this is just the people that I've interacted with. They're very aware that respect always, consent always. Yeah. Don't touch people. <laughs> personal space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in the sense I have been super, super lucky. Um and I'm so grateful and I hope I never go through any of that. My gosh. Um, but I, I guess in some ways it has been made easier 
There is more. Yeah. There is more accountability than there was before. Yeah. Even if it's not the most, or does it feel the greatest? There are still gaps, of course. It feels yeah. like it's more substantial than it was before, and I'm very grateful to that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I again, this is only just me. <laughs> like again, you'll ask someone else, and they might think differently. I mean, that's generally why people ask questions. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. I just. Don't expect me to have all the perspectives of the world, even though I've said some insightful things today. <laughs> yeah, you talk about this big confrontation you've hinted at, insightful and diplomatic conversations you had earlier in the day that have caused you like, to have trauma. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say trauma. Just like, I don't, is, I don't know if there's a word for this, but mm. it's, I feel like I, just something I heard from someone's project and like I found out about someone's history and behavior and I'm like that's typical oh gross predictable boring stop yeah. and it's like wow I feel like we take two steps forward and then one step back yeah um but basically uh too long didn't read too long didn't listen um represent <laughs> Diverse stories should be told by diverse people because people's tend people's actions and behaviours that are outside of that tend to go opposite to what they tell in the stories and mm. that is problematic. And it's not the only time that's happened. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> I feel like it was very profound and I, uh, you should get that on a T-shirt. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> I, someone's probably done it already. I mean. And actually it happened twice, like two different instances. In the same day though? Yeah. I heard about two different things in the same day today. Wow. It was it was a big drama day today. I can tell. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm just ugh, the audacity people. I mean. Seriously. Do you. <sighs> That that does make me wonder about the the future mm. of everything because everyone kind of talks about like we're progressing so far, and as you just stated there, clearly two steps forward, one step back. Yes, it it doesn't sound like we're ever really getting that far, which seems to be yeah. which seems to be the consensus. Yeah, it seems to be very much still. Uh, uh, I want to say a cis man's world, mm. or like you know the normal. The, normal the Barbie world. and Ken world. Yeah. And it's like no one else can really fit in, like whether you're a body type's different or anything. Yeah. I think big movements of reckoning need to happen for change to accelerate, in my view. And from what I've experienced, um, when we don't have those kind of rapid movements or accelerations, I guess a good example is Me Too. Yeah. That drastically changed the conversation, as yeah, it did. should. And I think movements and moments like that yeah. will help propel things faster. Drastic changes will make us change faster. I hope but so. But for the most part, most change has been gradual and it doesn't feel like we're progressing. We're just doing a little bit. A little bit by a little bit. Yeah, time, by a but... little bit. And for, for me, I think... Changes need to be drastic for them to really be felt 
And once those drastic changes happen, however they come about, then we will start to see, oh, this is the thing we've been talking about and this has been, this has actually changed now. This is totally different. This movement is like a reckoning and I think that is so powerful. Yeah. And I we need more of those. And I feel like I feel like it's coming, honestly. Yeah. I, I feel like it's been a dormant volcano, but it's slowly waking up and then Yeah. It's like I, the Me Too volcano. How, what were you feeling when the Me Too movement came out? Thank God, about <laughs> time. Because did you notice things before the Me Too movement that made you uncomfortable as an actor? I mean, I only really entered, I was only really able to enter the professional world uh, probably about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. which was about right before when Me Too was starting. And I had noticed some things that were uh, yeah. not very kind at all and very, ugh, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But... After that, I didn't see as much of that, but I saw what I did see and what I have noticed is more people are okay to hold others accountable for when they're doing the wrong thing or when they seem to do something shady. People are more willing to be able to stand up for themselves and for others and say, hey, that's not right. Hey, this is not right. Really? I've noticed that difference personally. Yeah, I think so. Even if it's like for a stranger that you don't know. People are, from my perspective, people are more aware of it. Yeah. And kind of know how to stop it and how to intervene and how to be like, hey, this isn't okay. Hey, let's support you. Hey, I'll do what you... Wow. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I think... I think it's really changed. I think the Me Too movement is great. I also think it can be a danger. It's like cancel culture. You're Ooh. you're walking, you know, like because yes, continue. Know. Well, I have like from my own experience being the impact of cancel culture myself. So people have tried to cancel me. Oh, for what? Different reasons, like you know. But there's the thing, like cancel culture. Um, I think it's a danger because when you have a bad set or a bad day with someone or you have a situation which, you know, can be turned south, mm-hmm. any situation, whether it's personal or professional, if I go, you know, like had a bad day and someone on set goes, oh, that person's a dick. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that person's had a bad day, but they haven't specifically made, you know, wanted to hurt you in any possible way. Like there's the difference yeah. between a Harvey Weinstein who was sexually assaulting yeah. and manipulating people mm-hmm. and then there's a pe- person who's just like, a nice person who's looking for either help or, you know, you know, or is just like caught in the heat of the moment. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that's the problem I find with cancel culture so much Mm. now and the me too movement, because there becomes a point when no one, you know, you don't know what's true. And I've heard of friends who have either been falsely accused or false, you know, um, who haven't done the things that, or I know that the situation that has happened wasn't like what this other person has said. I think cancel culture, look, is always going to be a very opening the can of worms. And what you've described is obviously the two extremes. And obviously people like Harvey Weinstein should should go. And Mm. I think in terms of situations where there has been a little kerfuffle with someone being rude in the moment and, like, their only option is to talk about it online – or, like, say something that a journalist picks up and it blows up, blah, blah, blah. 
whatever happens. It, it kind of makes me think communication overall needs to be improved Yeah. in those circumstances because if you don't feel okay to go ask someone, hey, is that okay? Or, hey, I'm sorry, did I do something? Yeah. You know, instead of going online, that kind of tells me, hey, that person doesn't feel all right enough to talk to you about an issue. So in that circumstance, yes, it's unfortunate that it happens and it's not okay. Usually those things get resolved anyway. Yes, there's a little bit of drama, but then people clear the air. However, I think people need to be in a position where you're open to communication, where something wrong does happen and... If, if something came off the wrong way, you're comfortable enough to go and say, hey, did I disappoint you? Did I piss you off? Like, are you all yeah. right? Then talk about it there instead of people feeling like they have to go online and be like, oh, this person was such a dick. Don't cancel them. Cancel them, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's a number one issue. Yeah. And then the number two issue is cancel culture has been – it's really accountability culture. It's yeah, can like oh, cancel culture. I heard this quote once that was like, "Cancel culture is." Oh, I'm gonna have to think about it. Just give me one moment. No, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Um, cancel culture really is. Are you about, picking my um? I don't. Oh, is that attached to the wall? No, it's not. Just it's, this it's, is not going in the podcast. No, it's not. Are you not picking it? Are you? No, I just didn't know what it was. I was fiddling and I didn't know what it was. It's um, um it's it's the soundproof thing. Yeah, but like there's a staple. Oh, no, it's not attached to the wall. Okay. Um, I was just wondering. I was like, what are you doing? Um, cancel culture. Yes. Um, oh, my God. What was the quote like? I think with cancel culture, mm-hmm. when you really think about it, the people who are really like so bothered by it like completely bothered by it are those who are finally being held accountable for us for demanding respect for being respectful of others and not using slurs of historically underrepresented groups and now they're being held accountable in a way that they weren't being held accountable for whatever reason whether it's the internet or social media giving people a voice and a platform, everyone has one. So anyone can go ahead and talk about anything they want. Whereas in the past, they didn't have that. So there are those people who are not fans of cancel culture and talk about it all the time. And and it's like you do realize that there's a social shift there. You can't get away with being disrespectful or using slurs or whatever it is. And I think, you know, there is good in that. Yeah. I think where the bad comes from is not giving people the room to grow or or apologize for their actions or hear them out. Yeah. That's I think that's where the problem lies and if after that someone genuinely apologizes and says, "Hey, I am absolutely so sorry that I hurt this person in this moment. Mm. It was I was caught up in a really stressful situation and I will be mindful of my behavior." That's a great apology. Yeah. Move on. Great. Okay. We got it. If someone is like really has a really shitty apology, like I'm sorry you felt that way. It doesn't matter if they felt that way. They did feel that way from your poor actions. Yeah. Like that to me is like, oh, proceed with caution. Like, yeah. You know, 
they don't it's it kind of gives off the vibe that they didn't really think that they did anything wrong which is nine times out of ten what happens exactly because people are assholes yeah or like they say oh i'm sorry i won't do it again but then they do it again and then that's like ugh, you can make your decision if you want to support that or not yeah I mean, it comes down to forgetfulness as well, because I feel like a lot of the time when, you know, and this is the thing I used to say when I had ADHD. Well, um, you still do. Yeah, really. no, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. It doesn't really stop. Um, but that was something when I said when I was younger, when I had ADHD, that, um, you know, like it it made me somewhat a little less aware growing up of yeah. certain social cues. Yeah. I mean, I had the same thing too. Yeah. And I think people just kind of automatically thought, oh, that person's dick. That person's mm. just impulsive. That person's a problem. And it's like, well, that's not true at all. Like, the difference yeah. is, and it's the same with, like, depression and anxiety. Yeah. It's the same where it's like, I've got depression. How are you feeling today? Eh. And everyone's like, God, they're always so sad. And it's like, excuse me, what? Mm. Can you rethink about what you're saying and how that is a negative impact on yeah. your Yeah, and views? that goes, again, to the point I was making about how people need to be able to ask in a respectful manner if yeah. something seems off yeah. or they don't understand something because that's, that creates so much misunderstanding. And if everyone could just do that once and be completely open and receptive to anything that is said and apologize, clear the air, whatever, it would just be a lot easier. But people aren't capable of that, clearly. Clearly, they don't know squat. Mm. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just impressed. By who? Like, just people. <laughs> yeah. Blindness. <laughs> the audacity, really. The audacity of people. Um, oh, yes. I want to move us on to social media. Oh, okay, yep. The wonderful world of social media. Mm-hmm. As an actor and as a person, how are <laughs> as a human being, yes. Jess, how do you go about promoting yourself and, and using social media? Do you find social media very overwhelming like most Absolutely. people? <laughs> Absolutely. It's so overwhelming to the point where I don't do a lot. I really want to do more. I want to kind of reframe the way I think about it and yeah. use it to be beneficial for me. Yeah. So like for me, I'd like to use it as a creative outlet more, like whether it's like my random photography on the street with my phone yeah. or whether it's about anything I'm in. Um, yeah, I'd love to be able to share it more. It, it is overwhelming because there's a lot and um, it, it is important, absolutely, because it, it is another tool of marketing, yeah. um, which is important. Pardon me, like marketing, which is important to getting the word out about your projects or whatever it is um, that's going on. So there is an importance of it and um, it's it's not something that many artists, I think, in general are adept to yeah. and really know how to use it in a way that enhances their art and what they're good at. Um, and it's unfortunate. I, I, think, I think we all really need to reassess, take a breath and plan it out more because I think that will be more helpful. How do you find marketing yourself on it? Like, do you find it? I find it really hard. Yeah. Because I'm not that type of marketing person. Yeah. Like, I I don't think that I am <laughs> very consistent with social media, but I do think I need to be. And I... As I said, like, I want to reframe the way I use it to be a more creative outlet. Like Instagram, for example, 
I'd love to do more photography and promotion and posts of my projects or and just writing. my life. Yeah, and I I don't because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. Like whether you cross-promote same content on different sites or if you should do totally new things and yeah. what's relevant, what's not relevant. And I know like casting directors, they look at they look at social media like any other employer really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but it's I don't know really what they look for. Just suitability, maybe a following. Yeah. Um, maybe just more about me. Cause that yeah. that is a way to show um others who you are outside yeah. of your yeah, yeah, yeah. creativity and your profession, which is also why I think it's important. Um yeah. it isn't it is a place to show who you are outside of the career stuff and the, the art stuff and the creative stuff like it's still a creative outlet but you can show so much you can show roller skating videos of you and yeah like, oh you're roller skating that's cool because you like you you write do you think you'd put some of those writing bits on blogs and stuff like that is that oh something? <laughs> no no not like that like do you yeah. think you'd ever submit a script to a festival and just hope for the best, or do you? I have you... thought about that recently, actually. Yeah. I think I'm. I maybe. You should. The one I. Yeah, 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 the one you sent me. I think you should. Yeah, I've been thinking about that actually. Yeah, I think you'd be. Yeah. 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 I sh- well, for context, I showed Martin something I was working on, and Martin really liked it. I did. <laughs> um, and I I have been thinking about maybe submitting it to a festival. Um, hope to make it. Hope to do it. Maybe be the leading lady in it. Yes. Um. So yeah, I have been thinking about that. I need to look more into that. Yeah, because I think you should. Because I mean, like writing is one of your strengths as well. So you it's think a, so? Yeah. Ah! Um. But I also think that yeah, it's just a different trajectory because you know, like you talk yeah. about acting, you know, and also just the jack of all trades kind of aspect. Ah, yes, yep. <laughs> um, and you know, you want to produce and star and direct. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I do want to do that, and I always said that I feel like writing those kinds of things yeah. has always been an extension of me as an actor. Yeah, because sometimes I have those ideas and stories that I want to expand in their own world. Yeah. And it's it's just kind of the same approach I have with acting where um every character I play, I create the world of the character. I'm not just creating yeah. a character. And I think that principle has led me to wanting to do other stuff and create my own ideas and have myself in them as yeah. I imagine them and how I write them. Um, and I did do a whole degree in media production. Like that was kind of my bookend of school and where I am now. Um, and that was great and I loved it. And I thought, wow, this is great for when I do want to write and make my own world and my own extension of my imagination and my acting ability and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I do like the idea of just being an actress in other people's projects too. Just, yeah. Yeah. So it's such a logistical exercise to make films and make content really in general of any length, as you can attest to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to experiment with different kinds of things. And, um, but yeah, that's why I kind of want to change how I view social media to make yeah. it more fun for myself make it an extension of 
what I like to do rather than feel like a chore that I have to do to promote myself. I think, I think I really, I don't want to be tied down to just one, you know, title of just actress, which I love. Like if that was the case, sure. But I, I do have other interests and I think it's healthy to have other interests, whether it's in the industry or out of the industry yeah. or just for fun. It how dare you some... have variety? <laughs> yeah, how dare I? I'm I'm a nightmare to everyone, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think I think it is important to to do other things. And yeah. To if you have ideas, make them. If you I... want to try something new, try it. Hundred percent agree with that. So yeah, that's kind of the approach I have with writing and acting and all the other stuff that I do, all the kitchen sink. You have a lot in your kitchen sink. I know. I need to wash some dishes and chuck them up and <laughs> maybe smash them on the floor. Don't th- <laughs> don't ruin your good cutlery. Um, <laughs> or my good fine china. Your good fine china. I think that is a perfect place to wrap us up. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Should we do an ASMR outro? <laughs> I mean, did you want to do some ASMR? You love ASMR. I, I think it's fun. As I um, said, it's one of my interests. Where, so my first question before you do a little yeah, ASMR yeah, 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 yeah. intro. Yeah, a good place to wrap us up. Start again. <laughs> um, no, it, uh, this is still a wrap up. Um, oh, oh, my. This is so. I'm not good at this. Okay. <laughs> um, you are fine. You are great at this. <laughs> Um, but Jess, where can people find you on the socials? Where can they stalk you? Oh, well, not my house. Don't stalk a house, yes. Um, you can find me at Instagram on um, at Jessica, T-R-U-E-M-A-N. And on Twitter, Jessica underscore T-R-U-E-M-A-N uh, for Truman. And yeah, I think those are the only two. Now do you want to do your ASMR whispering? I mean, this is how you want This is how you want it to end. Yeah, I mean, you didn't let me do the ASMR before. Sorry, that was really bad. I did something really bad before. Oh yes, yes, this that is, is so good. We just... lo- That's what I wanted to grab before. All right, like, there you go. There you go. Look at it. Look at that. God, this sounds like white noise in my ears. Oh, it's just so soothing. This is how we end I, the podcast. I wonder if you can hear this. No. No, you can't. Wow, that is the softest thing. Like, um. <laughs> Have you ever had an interview with an ASMR outro? No. So that makes things interesting. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you have. You have made them very interesting. Thank you. I love chatting to you. Oh, thank you. I hope you've had fun. I have. This has been really lovely. I'm glad. Um, Thank you. No worries. (laughs) And if you want to go and check out more episodes again, they're available on Apple and Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.